Bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Rollbar. Move fast and fix things like we do here at Changelog. Check them out at Rollbar.com slash Changelog. Resolve your errors and minutes into deployable confidence. Catch your errors in your software before your users do. And if you're not using Rollbar yet or you haven't tried it yet, they want to give you $100 to donate to open source via Open Collective. And all you got to do is go to Rollbar.com slash Changelog, sign up, integrate Rollbar into your app. And once you do that, they'll give you $100 to donate to open source. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. All right. Welcome back party people we have a special show for you this week hey it's always a special show around here because nick nacy is in the house what's up nick hey how's it going going very well going very well excited to talk about pika and we have a special guest fred k shot joining us all the way from where you at san francisco san francisco sunny yeah, yeah cloudy cloudy san francisco join us from cloudy san francisco well fred thanks so much for taking the time today i know you have a busy schedule to uh sit down and talk JavaScript with us. We appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Uh, be a part of the party, the JS party. That's right. You're here. I uh, hope you brought some beverages or at least <laughs> you know, we got some music. We got some friends here. So it should be a good time. So let's uh, get down to the nitty gritty and talk about Pika. That's P-I-K-A, uh, which is a project to move the JavaScript ecosystem forward. One thing I always say on the show is I appreciate people with ambition and big ambitious goals and this struck me immediately as that uh it is a package solution search thingy with modules and stuff i'll let you describe it fred because uh, you can probably do better than that no that was that was pretty uh about as close as i've heard it yet um uh, that's okay. kind of one of the problems of this is that it's it's so many things but it is exactly what you started with a project to move the javascript ecosystem forward so there are lots of pieces of that. It's not any one thing. It is a collection of projects. Um, this should, all started. Oh, sorry. I said we should mention there's Pika slash web. There's also Pika slash pack. Right. There's um, the website. So it's all. There's a lot of things going on. But yeah, you were going to talk about the genesis, and we'd definitely like to hear why this became a thing. Yeah, this all started about two years ago. Just um, taking a look at the ecosystem as a whole. Um, it's one of those things where everyone is kind of acting in their best interest. So consumers of packages on NPM, they just want it to work in their system. Uh, publishers of packages, they want it to work on as many user systems as they can. Um, and what this means is that everyone just ends up pushing the status quo forward. Um, so it's very hard to actually see when you kind of pull the covers up and look under the ecosystem what's going on. It's actually things don't really change that often, which, you know, for good reason. But that also means that a lot of people, so for example, when they're publishing a package, 
will compile it down and downgrade it to work on the latest possible version of Node. Um, and maybe they will stop maintaining that package. And so then it's forever pinned at you know, all these different Babel transpiler bloat to get async await working on Node 4. Um, it ends up actually looking a lot hairier than it does above the surface where these things all just kind of work. And they all just kind of work because we have these very powerful tools like Webpack and Rollup um, that allow for them to work on the web. And then you know, everyone's looking out for Node in their own way. So this project was was started to see what you could do about that. And obviously that's a big, as you said, ambitious goal. I'm not trying to you know change the world in one day, but if there were little things we could do. Um, and so as of today, there are three different projects. The first is just the website. So pikapackage.com, the very first thing I did was create a place to search for ES modules. Um, ES modules being these modern packages that actually do run on the web. Um, in certain scenarios, or at least are much more modern, they're focused on the web. They uh, just are generally, you know, there's not as much risk of transpiler bloat when the target itself is more modern. Um, and then other projects as well that I can get into to then work with those and publish them. Um, but it all kind of came out of these, what are the little things we could do to start building what would be a more modern ecosystem? And the mission statement of the project is to make modern JavaScript more accessible. Uh, making it easier to find these packages, to publish them, to install them, and just generally to use them. So perhaps a more clickbaity way of saying that, which I think was successful, uh, uh, hearing about your 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 exciting day on Hacker News, is the, a recent blog post on pikapackage.com, which was kind of the announcement post you sent it to us. We'll link it in the show notes. This says a future without Webpack. Yes. That, I apologize for any clickbaity. It really is. <laughs> that's, how you get that's how you get conversation going right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely, uh, that definitely got people. Although, you know, talking more about the title than the actual software, but that's okay. That's, that comes with the, uh, the territory. Yeah. Um, one of the things, so Pika slash web is one of our other projects, one of the other three, which lets you install these modern packages that actually run in the browser. So a big reason that we use Webpack, which is what this article goes into, is the history of of how we ended up where we are today with Webpack and, and these tools. Um, a lot of that came out of the fact that everyone wanted to use NPM and Browserify and then later Webpack and now Parcel and Rollup and all these others essentially promised that, they, that you can use an NPM package on the web. Um, today, they do a lot more than that, obviously, but you can trace a lot of it back to that original desire that NPM was on its way to grow and grow to be the biggest package registry that exists today. Um, JavaScript front-end developers wanted in on that action, and Browserify was very much an answer to that problem. Um, so what this is, is kind of a look at that problem through a different lens, which is what if you, instead of you know, trying to make Webpack simpler, what if you actually flip that model and actually go back to how could we run these packages directly in the browser? And uh, PicoWeb allows you to do that. So it has some impl interesting implications for how you build websites, web apps, um, when you don't actually need a bundler anymore. So the way it accomplishes this, it's really enabling you to use something that already exists now in 2019. And I think you can make the argument that Pika slash web um, and this style of application, bun or not bundling, but lack of bundling, uh, wasn't previously accessible or available to us as an option and is now through uh, ES modules. So do you want to talk about ES modules, tell everybody about them, maybe a little bit of history if you have it? And then how PicoWeb enables that as your uh, really code loading system in the browser. 
Yeah, we actually do let ES modules do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of what we can and can't do. So um, some background there, ES modules, I believe were released as a part of the ES6 spec before it was even called, I think. I always get, I always run into trouble translating between the two. Is that ES 2015? Um, you know, uh, yeah. several years ago, this uh, spec was introduced and ratified um, to have a native module system for JavaScript. Up until then, we'd used, uh, God, what are like the whole list of them? UMD, RequireJS, CommonJS, which is what Node uses, you know, when you use the require function and module.exports. That's, that's essentially a module system. Um, not native to JavaScript, but supported by Node, and Node gives you the functions to use that module system. Right. Um, those are all the, you know, everyone had solved this in user land, essentially, but never in a really great way. And it always ended up, you have to roll your own module system. You have to choose one of the many when you publish a package to support. Um, CommonJS, which was Node's module system, the one that they went through, and I'm, I can never remember if it's actually like strictly by the spec, CommonJS, but regardless, what they ended up shipping became by virtue of NPM being bundled with Node in it, starting as literally Node Package Manager. Um, it inherited that same module system. And it again, we talked about at the beginning about how the ecosystem will very commonly just kind of keep doing what's working because that's in everyone's best interest. Keeping that module system allowed you to work with the rest of the ecosystem. So different projects have tried to change that, but essentially you're basically saying, I am forking this registry of this ecosystem. Um, and that's usually a huge friction point for getting any sort of adoption. Um, so NPM still using CommonJS to this day. That's your require and your module.export. What has changed is that we have this modern ES module on uh, native syntax, so that's the import, uh, export, those, those keywords. That lets you basically write a native JavaScript module, one that the browser can actually natively understand, will natively run in ways that CommonJS nodes module system can't actually run on the web natively. CommonJS needs a bundler, um, while ES modules um, can run in the web natively. And ES modules are globally available in modern browsers, or is it a bleeding edge kind of a thing? What's the status there? There is can I use is always my uh, my uh, my go to site for these kind of answers. So can I use dot com? I think it is, um, and you can see the full support graph. But essentially, you know, going back at least a year, I think maybe even two years now in the modern browsers, um, and someone please fact check me on that. But regardless, many versions back on a lot of the modern browsers, this is all supported. Um, there's some kind of follow up parts of it, like dynamic imports that are still getting fleshed out. Um, so that's like the import function that lets you basically load a module outside of the syntax um, in an asynchronous way. But the core of the module system, that import-export, um, that is, I think, supported in every modern browser. IE 11 is the last holdout, I believe, from what I've heard from people trying to use these. Yeah, and uh, I'm curious how, so, so sticking with one of the projects, uh, which is just Pika's website, uh, how does it determine what is a ES module uh, package on NPM? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I go into that in a bit of little different places, but it's always hard to, to get a kind of succinct place where you where you want to look for it. Um, the website uses your module entry point in a package JSON manifest. So if your package is published and you've exported an ES module build, basically, um, you'll traditionally add a little module entry point similar to main, if you're familiar with that, where it points to the ESM build. 
So packages will actually build side by side if they're targeting both Node and a modern browser. A DS module build, which Webpack rollup, they all understand. It'll be a little more modern. It'll be a little faster because of that usually. And main will remain the Node you know, long-term support. What is the latest version of Node we want to support? It lets you decouple the requirements of both where Node v4, v6, v8 um, maybe doesn't have the same support that a modern browser that supports ES modules would. Um, that has been traditional in the community. So I actually have a stats page on Pika package. That was one of the first things. Um, if you go up to the top right of the site, there's a nice little link that'll take you to a stats site. And it's actually tracking module usage over time. So you can see going back to uh, 2015, there's actually a fun little history section of that page where the first module, the first package to ever use the module entry point was, it appears to have happened by accident. Um, somebody just, I, I, to this day, I would love to know the answer of why, who, like why they did this, what tool they were building for, who knows. They just said module equals, and it was like the name of the package. Um, maybe it was for their own testing. Maybe they're just confused. I don't know. Um, but that was a year before this became the standard, which roll up and um, actually, I believe it, it happened. It was first proposed in a post called in defense of .js as a pushback against nodes um, the node communities or the people working on ES module support in node, um, their proposal to add a .mjs file extension. Their take was, we would like to support ES modules. Um, this is the new modern thing. We're excited. However, as node, we don't know how to tell if you are giving us a file that is old CommonJS or old or new ES module syntax. So we need this new file extension. That's how we'll know and that's how it'll work. Um, they've since walked that back a bit. I don't believe it's any more required, but at the time that caused a lot of frustration, especially among the web community that said, you know, this is a node problem. Why is the solution going to have to be this full affects everyone solution um, that affects me as a web developer if that's not my problem? There was a lot of friction there. Um, so this, this concept of having a module build came out of that proposal to how could this work without adding a new file extension? And since then, pretty much immediately after, um, that was around mid-May of 2016. D3 started, Rollup started, everyone, all these big projects started buying into this idea. And that has just grown and grown over time. So about 6% of the packages on NPM now support a ES module uh, build. You know, fairly low, but a lot of packages are older, deprecated, not maintained, or even node-specific where it doesn't make sense. Given that mm -hmm. still today, only the web browser is, or sorry, only bundlers are really looking at this property. Has there been any moving and shaking on the node side of things to also support like at least syntax compatibility with this? So there's just one way to do it on the web and in node, or is it are the concerns so different on that side of the of the uh, things that there's no reason to support this syntax in node? Yeah, it's it's definitely been a hard problem for them to solve, but uh the people on the Node team who are working on this are doing a great job. I think Miles has been leading an effort there, the uh, head of the TSC, I believe still. Um, he's been heading this big effort to, okay, we've gone back and forth on a lot of different solutions. Let's go back to the fundamentals, break this up into different problems, and then solve them one at a time. So I believe there's been a lot of movement that I would not feel comfortable summarizing. I'm sure I will misquote it. I'll get angry hate mail saying, no, that's not what we're doing. Um, but I know they've been doing a lot of good work on that so that it is moving in a way it hasn't moved in the last, you know, going back the last four years at least. Nick, do you have any insights on that beyond what Fred has? Uh, I don't. I was actually curious if 
node is still planning on the .mjs route. Yeah, the latest there that I know is that it is still going to be recommended, but it is no longer required in that there may be a new type property of your package JSON. Similar to what the module field is trying to do, tell people what you support. Your package is modern ESM or older common JS, um, uh, which is actually really interesting for this project because over the last, so let's say the first, you know, in defense of JS, that post was published back in May, June of 2016. Node has not supported any sort of ES module outside of an experimental flag. Um, what's happened is the module property, that module entry point has kind of morphed into a web focused entry point where it almost implies that it is a web package. And we've been able to hmm. basically leverage that to say, here is our collection of about 50,000 almost, um, probably by next month we'll hit 50,000 packages on NPM that are modern. They can run natively in the browser. And they're actually more than more than certainly built for the web. So we've been actually able to leverage that. And the fact that Node seems to be going a different direction with their own support plan means we can probably continue to use that. That's a, something that I, I don't think anyone's really talked about because they haven't, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts to try and make any sort of assumptions. But what it looks like is that module will continue to be a front-end JavaScript entry point and main will continue to be the node um, JavaScript entry point, regardless of what those two module systems end up looking like. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI/CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else. So there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. So we're talking about ES modules native to the web. And so when I think about a feature that's native to the web, I think, well, can I just use that feature directly? Why do I need a thing? Why does Pika have to exist if we can just script type equals module and just use it directly? Yeah, providing. I agree. That is, that is kind of the, if you really look at what Pika is trying to accomplish, it's trying to make itself obsolete. Um, each of these projects, it would be great if the platform, the ecosystem, the, the registry, whatever it is, just did a lot of these things. So it's very much calling out problems with the way things work today. Mm -hmm. um, the exact reasons why you can't just script type module um, on most packages, and you can on a lot of the modern ES modules, the big problem you run into is the second they have a internal dependency, the second that they depend on some other package. Um, or even some other file. Um, what happens is that this came from the node community. Um, well, two things. One came from the node community, and that was the ability to just import a file kind of by this lazy, this is generally where the file is. Maybe I, I missed the file extension, um, or maybe I even just did the directory of the file I'm looking for, and it'll just like automatically add index.js into that directory. Node, for convenience sake, had a lot of 
very um, kind of sugary, sugary ways to, uh, for lack of a better word, import your packages by a, a more loosely defined path. Yeah, that, it's insane how many paths they have to check. Yeah. Yeah, if you actually dig into what that looks like, it is like, okay, did this directory, is it a file? Is there a .js? Is there a, there's a .node file extension? It does all these things like very loosely every time you import without a file extension. Um, I think that, that was one of Ryan Dahl's 10 big regrets, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that we talked about? Yeah. Yep. And you see you see Miles and the, the Node team that's looking at the uh, ES module implementation in Node using this as a leverage point to solve some of these kind of longer standing issues. Um, uh, so I believe that at least right now that lookup isn't supported and then discuss, is that something we want kind of unscope that from the uh, larger discussion. Um, but that's one of the big issues is that if you've been using node and you've been using Webpack uh, or some other bundler to write this package, all of a sudden you ship it off to the web um, and it just immediately breaks on the simplest you know, path because it doesn't have a .js. Um, that's issue number one. The other one is importing by package name. So if your package has a dependency on another package, that's one of the things that allowed NPM to be so powerful, this idea of small modules, um, small packages building on each top of each other. Um, whether you love that or hate that, it is a big part of what makes NPM so uh, powerful and, and useful, and people leverage that all the time. Mm-hmm. The problem then is you run import, let's say, uh, Preact. Let's import Preact by name. That also will just immediately die in the web. Um, in the browser. And that's because there is no lookup mechanism that the browser shifted. As a part of the S module spec, the only thing that's supported are file paths and like full resolved URLs. Um, so I should say relative file path. Um, what you end up with are packages that just, they can't run in the web, even though they run in Rollup and in, in Webpack. They just, because they were built for those tools, they actually aren't to spec in the same way that uh, the web browser requires. So Pika is basically a, a shim or a, it fixes them for you. Is, that, is so, that what it does? Like, what's it actually doing? So here is the big head fake of Pika Web, that tool. It is a bundler. It is the anti-bundler bundler. What it does is it actually uses that same bundler that we all brought into our code bases to solve this. How do you use NPM packages in the web? And instead of saying, here, run this on your whole code base, it says, run this on your dependencies. On the, to give you per dependency package or files. So to give you installed dependencies that run on the web. So mm. what you get are, your, it, essentially what it does is it takes your entire dependency tree of the dependencies that you care about for your website. So you can define them explicitly. You can try and guess from your dependencies list in your package JSON. However it gets that list, it will iterate through them, get the module um, entry points that those packages have defined and use those as entry points into your node modules directory and then give you each of those as an individual file in your web modules, what we're calling the, the new web-focused uh, uh, dependency directory. So similar to node modules is a folder where npm installs your thing, run PicoWeb, and it will take those packages that you rely on and essentially bring them into single file JavaScript, single file packages where any internal dependencies that they relied on, um, it tries to bring those in. Um, if there are any sort of shared dependencies between two of your packages that you're relying on, those will get split out into separate chunks. You basically get to use all this amazing tooling for a much more smaller scope project that essentially gives you a very nostalgic type of web development where you're actually loading you know, preact.js 
Um, and it's, and everything just kind of works through that. And then, then you get to basically decide, well, now how do I want to build my website? Um, given that Webpack, the big problem that it solved, or at least was originally built to solve was how do I use MPM packages? Now I no longer have that problem. I can use a lot of modern packages, 50,000 packages almost. Um, there's certainly something for everyone there. Um, now what do you, what do you do? And maybe you use a bundler so that you can still bundle your application source code. Um, maybe you decide to skip it for now, which is what www.pikapackage.com uh, decided to do. So we've built that fully ES modules, no bundler needed um, other than the Pika pack, the Pika web um, installation. I, I think I understand now. So Pika web is kind of like a purifier in the sense of, you know, imagine you're thirsty and you're standing by a river and you want to drink some pure water. And some of that water is pure, but you don't know where the other stuff came from. <laughs> you know, it looks clean, but, you know, upstream dependencies and whatnot. And so PikaWeb is like you're purifying, you're, you're taking that and you're purifying these packages so that they can be used with ES modules. Uh, some of them may already be pure. Some of them need purification. But you do that once and then you, you're done. You can drink it all. Is that a good analogy or is that missing the mark? I, I think that's a good one. That's, I like the idea of web developers and front-end engineers, uh, UX developers, whatever you call them. <laughs> we, are, we are thirsty in the desert somewhere, and we have That's a purifier. Right. We're standing by a river of, of <laughs> software, and we're just ready to drink it up. Nick, you were yeah. going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask if there are certain packages that it might not work with. Like, what, for example, yeah. I'm thinking of like, and I don't know how, I, I'm trying to, I'm failing to think of how this all gets abstracted away, but like a lot of times in code, you'll see um, the module system being hijacked to load in like an SVG, for example, or something mm -hmm. that's not a JavaScript file. Uh, is that something that, that PicoWeb would choke on? Or um, is that sufficiently abstracted out from the package that it would end up slurping in? Yeah, it certainly relies on package authors doing the right thing to an extent. So it gets to leverage a few of these implications of what's been built in the ecosystem so far. So the idea of using a module entry point, people aren't usually you know, making file system calls in that package. Um, they aren't usually building it to spin up you know, I don't know, some, some very node-specific work that they need done. So we get to leverage a bit that way where a lot of these packages are meant to be run on the web and people are, are behaving in a certain way because of that. Um, mm -hmm. The other is that a lot of these packages are built for a general audience. So again, everyone's acting in their own best interest. Package authors want to build a package that can run for the most people. If you say, oh, this will only run if you uh, have an SVG webpack loader in your, in your config, all of a sudden you've just kind of cut out a group of potential users that would not have that. Um, so with packages, you do get this. There is a shared understanding of what a package is, and usually it involves compiling everything down to JavaScript, you know, .js files. Um, mm -hmm. If they're loading assets, they're doing it in a more web standard way um, versus just, you know, import the CSS file as if it were an ES module, you know, isn't actually a real thing. Um, and it yeah. usually requires extra tooling on your part as a consumer. So they, they try to stay away from it, but, you know, I'm, I'm certainly seeing that. I'm, I'm trying to run this over all the modules that we have in the ecosystem or that we have indexed in pikapackage.com. And there are certainly people doing all sorts of things, importing .jsx files, um, you know, importing SVGs. For sure, it's a problem. Yeah. What about from the, the more Node-specific uh, packages? Um, the Node package manager can load JSON files. Does it have a special use case or a special way of handling that? Yeah. So we try to 
walk that line between what is the best way to support as many packages as possible and not mm -hmm. do so in a kind of risky um, way that might actually build you a package that fails at runtime versus catching it earlier. Um, so that's that's a, a whole set of different compromises. Um, we do try to do some things that are fairly either being discussed within the context of Node, so or in being discussed and within the context of added to the spec. So people are talking about what does it mean to import a JSON file. Um, we see that a lot because Node supports it, so we do actually do that by default. If you're being a purist and you want to only support, you know, the least disruptive type of transformation, we do have a strict flag that is much more strict about what is and isn't a uh, a package. Hmm. That's awesome, and I, I wonder how just how shocking to my system that would be to to just do pure ES modules because I feel like hardly anybody does. Yeah, at it's, this point. it's definitely kind of a trip. It, it I even call that out in the README of the of the project where it's like this very nostalgic 2014 feel, but you're using these modern technologies to get that. Um, so instead of everyone rolling their own uh, module system or attaching things all you know chaotically to the window object, and that's an export. Um, mm -hmm. It's like this same, but also nostalgic way of doing web development. Um, that because now you're looking at a per package uh, layout instead of having everything in one vendor.js file, and you you push a new change, you update one dependency, and that whole file has to be busted in the cache. It actually ends up being pretty fast. Um, it's all kind of case by case basis, but because of the caching gains you get, um, and given that we have this new HTTP two standard, which allows you to load multiple assets in parallel, you actually see a lot of sites where it makes sense from a performance standpoint to, uh, to at least start with this, um, get that caching win, get a simpler development uh, environment, and then go from there. I love the idea of patch bumping a single dependency and not having to have all my users download a new vendor.js, which is, you know, 200, 300. Right. Or, or even... Yeah, or even you only download the dependencies you need as you need them. So a big another big win there is I load one page of my site. I only load the dependencies needed for that page. You're shipping much less unnecessary code down to the browser. So what about other niceties you might want to have? TypeScript, Babel, etc. Are you end are you gonna end up with a bundler or some sort of additional tooling every time, no matter what, if you want those things? Or are those are there other ways to get the similar features? What's the situation there? How do you mean? Like maybe I want to start off a, a new website and I have some dependencies and I want to use Pika Web mm -hmm. to have you know to use the the ES module approach, um, but I also want to use TypeScript. Gotcha. And just explain that. You know what? What does that look like basically? So that's that's the big goal of the project. I would say if I could succinctly just not all of Pika, but just Pika Web. The idea is don't use any sort of tooling because you need to. Um, use it because you want to. So if you want to use TypeScript, um, you can use that. And TypeScript has a way to actually, the tool itself will export ES modules that will still run on the web. Um, or let's say you want to more you know, cleverly bundle your code up and not have to worry about if you have a giant site with many levels of dependencies and files loading each other. Maybe you just want one big app.js file. Um, then it's a great reason to reach for parcel or webpack and that would all just work with these dependencies or at least that's the goal um what we see is that a lot of this and i i think you guys did a great job talking through this in the episodes about the great divide that article by chris uh, coyer is it mm -hmm. 
is that we see this, it's, it's new that we have so much tooling required just to run a hello world, just to get started in like a boot camp in your first day of web development. You know, when I learned it, it was PHP, it was hacking together this gnarly site, but you could get started very quickly. You didn't have to learn, you know, a whole course or even a, even read a tutorial on how a bundler works and how Webpack works. Um, I think a lot of that, when you talk about why is there this divide or why do some develop, why is there this need for tooling in a way that there wasn't five years ago? I think it all, a lot of it can be traced back to that. There was this desire to run NPM packages on the web. Um, it was worth the trade-off for us to start using bundlers. And now that everyone today assumes a bundler, more and more tooling is being added to do cool things with those bundlers. And that's, that's great. That's right. all well and good. But for the person just trying to get started or the person who's more design focused and doesn't have, you know, maybe they don't have the interest or the time or for whatever reason, you know, Webpack is big. You know, it's, I barely understand how Webpack works and I've been doing this for a while now. Um, for that person, it's instead of being like, oh, well, just, you know, we'll, we'll all do something simpler instead because I'm not interested in that. It's much more of a, sorry, you can't. You need to learn that. Um, or we'll put up this wall where we do this bundling logic and this bundling math and all this interesting things while you go design and, you know, stay away from this. This is our area. It kind of, at the very least, it doesn't help get rid of that uh, that wall. So if you wanted to use Pika Web uh, in a project, uh, what would you do? Would you install that as a, a dev dependency? And does that, like, set up, like, a, a post-install script or something to... to um to create the web modules directory? Yeah, I would definitely recommend checking out both the article that uh, you mentioned would be in the show notes yep. and also the repo with the readme. But the basics of it is that you would just add it as a script in your package JSON. So there's the prepare script, which is a lifestyle hook within NPM, where anytime you run NPM install, it'll run that, that command. Um, so put PicoWeb into there, put it as a dev dependency, and Anytime you run npm install, it'll rerun that. And there are some other interesting things you can do on top of that. So you could, um, there is a Babel plugin if you really like the idea of importing your dependencies by package name. And you like the idea of having a Babel step to transpile experimental features or what have you. Um, you can use that plugin, for example, to keep the exact same developer experience you've had with dependencies. And then in your build process, it'll rewrite it to the slash web modules slash package name. What advice would you give to the developer who already has figured out the magic incantation required by Webpack to do everything the way that they want it to work? Are there, are there significant enough wins here that maybe it's worth a porting of your application to PicoWeb plus a few niceties directly? Or is it kind of like, this is for new applications. If you have, if you already have something working, you know, don't touch it. You might break it, kind of thing. <laughs> what, what do you think there? Yeah, I, the first comment I saw on uh, on the Reddit post when this when this got posted to Reddit on the JavaScript community was, oh man, another thing I have to learn. Ugh. And it's like, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to. <laughs> the opposite. Um, right. Don't feel any pressure to use this. Um, this is purely if, and I think it does speak more to someone starting a new project, just because. If you're using Webpack, you clearly already have a setup. It's working for you. I'm not trying to get anyone to do anything they don't want to do. It's the exact opposite. If you are intimidated by Webpack or you just want a much less complex starting point, um, then create React app or, or even starting your own Webpack uh, config file, then this is a great tool for that person. So 
PikaPackage.com was started in that vein where I just want to use ES modules. What does that look like? Um, turns out it's pretty simple. And using this tool, you can get a lot of that uh, benefit. So no, don't throw out what you're using. Um, if you're working on something small, um, you can try playing around with it. Again, with that Babel plugin, you don't have to change a line of code um, as long as all of your dependencies are installable with Pico Web. Um, so that probably is the trickiest part of it. If you have an existing app, you probably haven't given too much thought about what your dependencies are, which means you might have something in your tree which is very node-specific. Um, you know, if you're using request as the package, you know, that is a very node-specific package, even though Webpack and Rollup make it play very nicely uh, within a single bundle. Those aren't modern ES module web-focused packages. So I would definitely recommend checking out PikaPackage.com. It is you know, the very first thing it started out as was a index, a way to search NPM for these modern packages. I guarantee you, you search the thing you're trying to do, there will be a modern package, which will also probably be lighter, um, more front-end focused, more modern. You know, If you're still working around callbacks because you're using this NPM package that was built for Node five years ago, I guarantee you there is a more modern, web-focused, async await promise-based one that hopefully runs even faster and runs much smaller. This episode is brought to you by Manifold. Manifold is the easiest way for you to discover, buy, and manage the best developer services for your application, regardless of your cloud. Manifold is changing the way developers and cloud services work together, easily find, integrate, and share the best cloud services. And what's interesting is as you assemble your stack, you can organize your services into projects, then create and invite team members to collaborate via role-based access controls. And I love their hacker-friendly signup experience too. For example, if you're on a Mac, you can install the Manifold CLI via Homebrew, then run Manifold signup to get started. It's so easy. Learn more and discover the best cloud services for your projects at manifold.co. Again, manifold.co. So we've talked about Pika Web talked about pikapackage.com there's a lot of moving parts here you have a, a a third piece to the puzzle which is a little bit more niche because it's focused on package creators more than just the package user but it's pika pack and the tagline is npm package building reimagined so tell us about pika pack sure thing pika pack is is all that and more um, now I, I i feel like i went a little overboard on that tagline it sounded like a <laughs> I'm, you know, trying to sell you. You're, you're good at the marketing <laughs> side of things. You got the marketing down. Uh, so. you know, sometimes I, I doubt it. But yeah, the idea there is to look at how we actually package and publish NPM packages. So definitely more niche in that this is targeted at package creators, which is a much smaller group than package consumers. But it is still something very important because it kind of everything flows down from there. You know, I mentioned that everyone's working in their best interest um, when they are publishing packages for the most people to consume them. Um, consumers are just, you know, they want a package that runs on their machine. The problem you run into there is that a lot of what NPM packaging and publishing is, is still based on exactly what it was, you know, eight, uh, maybe coming up on 10 years. I'm not sure how old NPM is, but it hasn't changed much at all since I started um, using NPM, which was quite a while ago. Um, the basic idea is that you run publish. It takes your entire directory, 
everything you have, you know, except for node modules folder and maybe anything being get ignored. It turns that into a tarball, it sends it to NPM, and that is your package. The problem there is that we've all started moving towards more build tools. So the code that we're writing actually very rarely looks like the code that you actually run on your system. Maybe that's because you as the author want to write a modern JavaScript and then you don't want to have to worry if that will run directly. You instead just want to use Babel, build for Node 4, V6, V8, and then be done with it. Um, or maybe you're using TypeScript. Maybe you want to try something really cool and experimental. Um, all those reasons today we're not writing JavaScript that is really meant to be run directly on Node on the browser, um, especially for the package creator. So this is an attempt to reimagine, for lack of a better word, how that would work. Instead of just being, here's my directory, enjoy, actually building out a pipeline of what packaging and what building your package for NPM really means um, to simplify all this so that you as the package creator don't need to, okay, do I write this myself? Do I use Webpack that I'm building a package? How does that work? Up until now, it's been a pretty tall lift for a lot of package creators to figure all these different tools out. You know, again, it's a smaller group, so there's a lot less out there for how do I create a package um, that runs on as many machines as possible. And um, Jason Miller built something called MicroBundle, which is pretty cool, and that is a, a, another attempt at this. Um, but Pika Pack is trying to look at it instead of just being how do I build these small packages in a really no um, kind of opinionated way? Instead, how do I build out a build pipeline for my package that lets me, you know, very simply add in, okay, I want to build this, I'm creating this package and I want it to work on Node, uh, modern browsers, and I want to have auto-generated TypeScript definition. Add those three plugins, similar to how you would in Babel, and run pack, and it just works. That's at least the goal. Oh, I like this. So it's really helping to standardize a uh, build process and, and release process for packages to be the most friendly package packages possible. Yeah, that's a that, that's actually a more down to earth tagline. I might I might feel that. Um, yeah, it's it's exactly it. it's this all this complexity. It's reimagined, guys. It's reimagined. <laughs> it's all this complexity to get around the original way that this was built, which is. If you think back to what an npm package was, let's say five years ago, it was here's my index.js file, here's my package.json file. Maybe I have like a lib directory of other dependencies, but essentially that's it. And now it's much more complex. This is an attempt to build a publishing system that uh, that works for that. And there is a publish command to this as well um, that borrows heavily from the np package. If anyone's used that, um, it's Basically, it walks you through a publish. So, hey, what version are you trying to bump to? Um, here's all the commits that will go out in this version. Is that version? Does that look okay? Um, okay, let's you know make sure that this is meant to go out to public versus private. The pre-tagging, all these things, it gives you a step-by-step -step CLI to walk through those. Versus npm's publish command is kind of just like, all right, <laughs> tarball, here you go. So they. Some interesting slash potentially good news, uh, specifically with regard to npm, because it seems like uh, a modernized aspect on building packages for npm is that the npm folks are looking at this as a potential integration for them. Is that correct? And can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah. So um, the npm team created an RFC for their own project to see what it would look like to support either an integration with Pika Pack or 
maybe moving towards the same system where they could share a lot of the same plugins. Um, the idea being that thinking of publishing and, and packaging your, your work for NPM specifically as a pipeline. Um, and through that pipeline, you give the source code and then these plugins just make changes to it to either create the build for that environment. Um, one thing, one of my favorites, which is still a little rougher than I would like it though, is there's just a Dino plugin. So if you want to, if you're writing a TypeScript project, one plugin, the goal is to publish it in a way that Dino could consume it. Um, that's something that, you know, you don't have to know how Dino works. You don't have to be running it necessarily on Dino, but the idea being that all these different environments are getting to a point where they start to have different requirements and different code that is would be optimized for them. So instead of you as a package author being like, okay, I, I got to learn how Dino works. I got to I got to learn how ES modules and how bundlers work. I got to learn how Node four and Node six, Node eight, Node eight will all use this. Um, instead, the goal is use plugins to build your package and let the plugin worry about what that environment supports. Um, there's also some cool things you can do about I want to write a library. So it's a library that does something like, uh, oh, I'm totally going to blank on a good example. Um, what's, what's a, like, what's a cool, like a package that just does something like silly? I don't know. Like there's like a five package, I think, that just like outputs the number five in different languages. <laughs> Probably. Let's, okay. Let's say that you're working on that, right? And it's, it's super company specific. It's very important. This is production software that needs to be run. Um, let's say you wanted to add a CLI to that. I don't know why you need a five CLI, but let's say you did. Um, because the company you work for is five guys, burgers, and fries. <laughs> and you need to be able to print five in every language. Right. You're, you're going up for promotion, and you need to show that, okay, this analogy is getting out of hand. But the idea there is that you've built this library, this, this basically a JavaScript file. Let's say it has exports some functions. Um, do you also need to go then and look into, okay, what kind of CLI? library do I maybe want to use? Um, what are all these different things to support that? How do I parse args, uh, arguments that are sent to the CLI? All these things. What if there was a plugin that just wrapped your, your JavaScript file? It wrapped your library in some very standard way. And calling that CLI would maybe just run your JavaScript file. Maybe it would call a function to it in a specific way, passing in the args that it got already parsed. Um, there's some really cool things to do there that uh, stopping to think about, okay, this package needs to be built. Everything has to be built by me. Instead, I build the library and then I augment it. I distribute it using these plugins. Sorry, I got stuck on this five package because Nick <laughs> found it on, on NPM and I'm just going through it. Five.up high returns a superscript. Five, five dot down low returns a subscript. And then five dot too slow returns a five, but it waits. You know, I got to be four. honest. I was about 10% sure that I got the right number. I thought it might have been four, three. Maybe there's one for every number. <laughs> Maybe we're sleeping on this entire ecosystem of number-related packages. Potentially. Sounds and I like did search show. Pika package for that, and I found it on there with an exact match, but it is not a web-friendly. Yes, that is going to kill the five package community to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. So what exactly, I mean, if we can take this one for instance, what would we find? I'm assuming it's pretty straightforward source code. What might we find in the repository or in the package itself that would make it not? Is it just the way they're doing exports and stuff? That would make it not do what? Not be yeah, you know, not be Pika uh, compatible. Oh, gotcha. So you've you've searched it on the site and it's coming back with this match that says you know this isn't web friendly. Um, It's essentially just hasn't found a module entry point. So 
maybe this will run on the web with a with a bundler. You know, it's it's specifically not trying to say this won't run on the web, but what it is saying is this isn't built for the web. So you know, now that we have these things built on top of this idea, you know, we can say this wouldn't run when installed with Pico Web. Um, this might be a package built specifically for Node, so it requires you know the FS module. Like, what does that look like when you put it on your website? Um, things like that. It's it's more of a signal that maybe there exists a more web friendly version of this package. Um, the goal being that you're now here, you're looking for a package that exports five. Maybe there's a five es package that is specifically the modern successor because the maintainer of five for whatever reason I can't imagine why I stopped maintaining five. Um, that idea, Lodash is another good example where the Lodash package is this CommonJS um, node-specific package, but they specifically have a Lodash.es that is much more ES module. It is an ES module package, so it is a little more friendly to bundlers. It works a little better with tree shaking, um, all those things that ES modules bring to the table. Well, shout out to Jack Crawford, the author of 5.js. We'll link that up for anybody who, who wants to get a Jack, now is your chance. Start it down low five. Start an open collective. Now's your chance, Jack. Get the big bucks. Yep, this is your big moment. Everybody <laughs> has their fifteen minutes. And uh, one last bit of serendipity is it was last published five years ago. Ah, Ooh. Probably not web friendly. Nice. Now he can't touch it now. Jack, if you're listening to this, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Congratulations. <Yeah. laughs> Oh. Way to advance the spirit of the NPM ecosystem the, with this awesome. The library. other interesting thing that Ecopack can do is that it starts to look at, and this is something that, uh, you know, we are not the first to do this. Um, WasmPack is a good example of another person doing this, which is the NPM package is the goal, right? The built JavaScript. And maybe it has some other assets like CSS, um, or maybe it has other assets like Wasm. And in that case, does your source language still need to be JavaScript? Could your source repo be a rust or um what is what a reason no camel you know something that could be built to something as long as it's built to javascript and maybe powered by wasm or something else it kind of unlocks this idea that npm which is very much what i'm in the spirit of npm it's not just for javascript it's not just for you know a very specific use case it's for supporting any number of packages that run on node and on the web um, or even other environments so what would that look like if you were writing Rust and then had a Pika pack build pipeline that converted that into a uh, a npm package? Yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah, so we have some yeah. plugins now for that. Um, and again, Wasm Pack has been exploring this area for through the lens of, I believe, Rust. Um, but this is a less language focused and more just general. Like, you have a build pipeline. The goal is X. You know, as long as you build that pipeline out, the starting point can be whatever you want. Well, Pika Pack, check that out if you are a package creator. Of course, Pika Web sounds like a big opportunity to simplify some things, especially on greenfield projects. Get out and use ES modules directly. Hey, give it a try. Let us know what you find. One of the cool things about doing this is we're bringing back the view source. Oh, yeah. As you said <laughs> on this blog post. You can open up a JavaScript file. I take a little, I take, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I don't say bringing back source. oh yeah, like the cool Kool-Aid guy. I say, oh yeah, by the way. I'm so sorry. I said it like the Kool-Aid guy. Oh yeah. It's more like Ric Flair bringing back source. So I'm always excited about that. I think uh, the more we can 
uh, view our view each other's sources, the better. So that's a cool thing as a side effect of of using this you know, loading modules directly without bundling it all up. Um, anything else before we uh, let you go that we want to talk about or uh, questions from you, Nick, that we haven't addressed yet? Uh, no, I think that that it's a really interesting project, and I'm really uh, excited for the work that you're doing to push the web forward. And I hope that you are completely successful in that Pika eventually is irrelevant. <laughs> That's, I mean that yeah. in the best yeah, way possible. I, that means a lot to me. Thank you. We, oh. we hope this is irrelevant in the future. <laughs> yeah, um, really excited just to be working on this. And if anyone else is interested in these bigger kind of, you know, questioning the, the whole nature of the ecosystem we live in today, please get involved. It's all open source. It's all uh, up on GitHub. Um, file issues. Play around with it. I'd love to hear what you think. Very good. Well, the starting place for all things Pika is PikaPackage.com. Of course, all things mentioned, even a link to 5JS is in the show notes, so click on those. And in case you're wondering, yes, if you call 5.guys, the function, it returns you the hamburger emoji. So uh, he's he's won the internet for today with this library. <laughs> I'm sure that was and, a um, much impressed. desired feature I think, request. Uh, Yes, five guys, hamburger. So bringing it full circle. That's our show for this week. Hey, thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next time. All right, thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor, share this show with a friend, read us an Apple podcast, go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash ChangeLog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Because you've stuck in here to the end of this show, we got a special surprise for you. This is a preview of our new upcoming show called Brain Science. This podcast is for the curious. We explore the inner workings of the human brain to understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and the complexities of the human condition. It's hosted by myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my good friend, Muriel Reese, a doctor in clinical psychology. It's about brain science applied, not just how the brain works, but how we apply what we know about the brain to better our lives. Here we go. So where do we begin to understand the mind? Humans have brains with all this neural activity. And I'm just thinking about what I know about my brain. I understand that it's up there, what it is. I understand it's very important to me. And without it, I couldn't function. But, you know, my mind isn't my brain's activity. How can we begin to break down the brain and the mind to really understand the operations behind our mind? Well, one of the things that is really important when we're looking at the brain and the mind is actually the words that we use to describe different things. And so I think it's really important to be as clear as possible. And so I think we want to differentiate the brain from the mind. And right. so the brain is made up of different structures. And then the mind is sort of the inner workings of the physical structures, which is not observable. But when we're looking at the brain, there are some primary structures that are fundamental to being human. And that involves sort of three different brains. Well, we have the brainstem, the limbic brain, and the prefrontal cortex. 
I know it might get a little heady and <laughs> talking about some of these things, but <laughs> I think it's helpful when we can have a visual. So if you put your right hand up in the air, like you're being sworn in with all five fingers next to right, each other, go ahead up. and f- okay. fold your thumb across the palm of your hand and then close your four fingers over the top of your thumb. Okay, I got that. And so in order to correlate these with different structures, your wrist would be synonymous with your brainstem, which is the reptile brain. Then your thumb is the limbic brain or mammalian brain, which means all mammals have that part of the brain. And then your four fingers are what we refer to as the frontal lobe or part of the prefrontal cortex. Okay. So we sort of have three brains in one and all do different things in our brain to help us be able to live and move and be safe. So if we have three brains in one, they all have their different roles. It sounds like you know, the reptilian seems, I don't know, like it can't think very well. And when it comes to the reptilian brain, I'm assuming it's just sort of like, you know, gut reactions, you know, very, very quick thinking, you know, almost subconscious kind of stuff potentially. Is that right? Yeah, you're spot on. Sometimes I think, again, it's helpful to parallel things with what we do know and do understand. So thinking of different animals, um, reptiles, right? Lizards, turtles. So the brainstem is really only responsible for these key functions within the body. So breathing, heart rate, the essentials and and fight or flight. If uh, a lizard is afraid, right, it needs to figure out what it needs to do to survive. So the brainstem is just preoccupied with the function of survival. How do I not die? And then if we move up to that mammal brain, right, we can think about, you know, cats or dogs, bats, and that mammal brain or limbic brain is really the feeling center of our brain. There's two key brain structures as part of that, and that is involves the amygdala and the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. The one thing I think is super fascinating about the mammal brain is really the way in which we bank memories. Whenever things have the most emotion associated with it, we're more likely to remember that. Okay, so it doesn't matter whether it's positive or negative. So be it a wedding, birth of a child, you know, or something super traumatic. Our brain goes, oh, that's so important to remember. It vacuum seals it so that we hold on to that. And so this is why, too, our lives have different meaning and being able to to feel is a fundamental part of being human. The mammal brain is really the feeling center. So as opposed to more of the fight or flight from the reptile brain, our mammal brains they're still more un- unconscious, subconscious things, but imagine that the Dewey Decimal System of your brain sorts things according to feelings when we're mammals. That's a preview of Brain Science. If you love where we're going with this, send us an email to get on the list to be notified the very moment this show gets released. Email us at editors at changelaw.com. In the subject line, put in all caps, brain science with a couple bangs if you're really excited you can also subscribe to our master feed to get all of our shows in one single feed head to changelog.com master or search in your podcast app for changelog master you'll find it subscribe get all of our shows and even those that only hit the master feed again changelog.com master
I want to be remembered for my gourmet line of frozen seafood dinners.